Did you watch The Night Porter? No, I didn't. I think this is going to blow your mind. So The Night Porter isn't for everybody. Okay. Let me give you the lay of the land. This wealthy woman is at a party with her husband. Cool. And she recognizes The Night Porter. Mm -hmm. And through flashbacks, we discover that she was actually held in a concentration camp. Oh, God. And this guy was one of her Nazi guards. Oh. And they begin a sadomasochistic relationship. Fascinating. And an obsessive sexuality develops. Mm -hmm. All sorts of interesting things come from that. And I think it talks more clearly and resonantly about things like trauma and sexuality and what makes us attracted to a person and what draws people together and also cruelty and sexuality, restorative justice. Mm -hmm. I bring this up because I wrote very early on in the margins, I think this might be the night porter for tweens. Mm -hmm. This is not a book for tweens. This is not a book for tweens. (laughs) I would be horrified (laughs) to find out that like, I don't know, a 14 or 13 year old was reading this. I'm Isabel. I'm Morgan. And this is Romance. It is. A podcast about romance novels. About destructive desire and toxic masculinity. Death, those things. About college. Film class. Having sex on a twin bed. 90s James Bader movies. Mm. Late 80s, I can't remember. Sex on a twin bed. Very sex on a twin bed kind of recording sesh. Yeah, it is. Uh, that's weird. Uh, <laughs> this is a book about finding your voice. I guess. I mean, <laughs> the book thinks that it is. <laughs> Whether or not this you is agree about, is a question. This is a podcast about taking beloved texts to task. <laughs> But most of all, it's about romance novels and ourselves. On this week's episode, we are talking about Never Sweeter by Charlotte Steen, potentially Stein. I don't know how the EI works. I went to college. (laughs) You went to like a fancy college. People are impressed. <laughs> they shouldn't be. They shouldn't be. Yeah, they shouldn't be. Anyway, uh, Never Sweeter by Charlotte Steenstein. Yeah, I picked this one, so you better give that synopsis. So we meet Letty, our heroine, in a prologue where she's walking back from her car that's just broke down on the side of the road. And the car revs up behind her and it's her bullies in a truck. Truck full of bullies. She's just like, you know what? Not tonight, fuckers. She's like, they're not going to hit me. They're not going to hit me. And she plants herself on a bluff above the ocean. And she's like, come at me, bros. And they do. And they slam her body with their truck off the bluff and into the rocks below. Flash forward two years. She's been in physical therapy this whole time. She's at her first day at Breckenridge College and she's sitting in her first phone class and she's like, huh, this is, this is pretty good. You know, like things are getting back to normal. And then fucking ass face turns around and it's one of her torturing bullies is five rows ahead of her in this class. The worst one in her mind. Right. Not the one who actually hit her with the car. That's Jason. But Tate Sullivan, who was next to Jason in the car, is suddenly in her film class. And she's reasonably feared for her life because this feels like a dramatic setup a la She's All That and um, Paul Walker. But Tate is like, it's not, it's not. How could you think that? I don't know, Tate. How could anyone that you threw off a cliff think that? And then the rest of the book marshals around them in this class and Tate trying to make amends to Letty and Letty learning to trust that and it's all about emotional vulnerability and we find There's out also the mob is fixing Tate's division four wrestling, wrestling matches. Miraculously they have to spend a lot of time together working on a film project about sex in film. And they did not watch any interesting films about oh, sexuality. Seriously. There's so many better ones that they just did not interrogate. They didn't. They could have watched movies with actual sex in them too. Yeah. That would have been interesting. But they They didn't. could have watched 
fittingly, the night porter. Yeah, they could have. But they didn't. And setting that aside, because they're only 21. But this is only their first year of college. Or Letty's first year. Because he transferred from, like, Stanford is what the book says. But, like, (sighs) did he really? Well, no, he's a made-up character. (laughs) That either means he he can do anything or he can do nothing. Nothing. I mean, is that a good enough of a synopsis? Yeah, I think that's fine. I think people know that they're going to end up together. and, And, like... It has an HEA. Yeah, it has a happily ever after. I want to start with, do you forgive him? No, yeah, that's the key part that was missing. It's that we discover that he has actually always been in love with her, Mm -hmm. obsessively in love with her. Mm -hmm. In fact, he asked her out on their first day of high school and she thought Mm -hmm. it was a joke, so she laughed at him and then he just decided to torture her throughout her entire high school career. Uh, Early in the book, he makes a joke about Edward Cullen being a creepy hero and then we discover he's transferred to Breckenridge to be close to her. He asked the professor to make them film partners and then lied about it. He's accidentally took video of them having sex and then emailed it to, to his own personal email, which is total fucking douchebag at gmail.com or something crazy like that. It's like in the fixing, it becomes more broken. And I'm disturbed that people don't see that. I heard about because this book on Twitter. people really love it. Yeah, people love this book. And I first heard people about it. People I respect. Yeah, me too, which is why I got this book and why I wanted to talk about it on the podcast because everybody was like this is so good it redeems a bully I know what you're gonna say and I'm like do you though because like Tate Sullivan is never redeemed for me like all of the things that you've just said like the fact that he like coerced a professor into assigning them to a semester long project together which like the grade aside like that kind of coercion and manipulation without her knowing is pretty fucked up super fucked up so like yeah I think the real question for me is like can this be an HEA if me the reader never forgives him like yeah. he forgives him like that's part of the a way lot that of people is... do forgive him though right right he is always relative I'm always kind of disappointed in most of them <laughs> uh right which we can talk about we... in more depth at a later, later date, date the AGA debate. But for me, it's like Tate Sullivan as like cinnamon bunny as he is, like he's profoundly gross to me. And like Mm -hmm. that's never really reclaimed or restored or fixed. No. Because like the initial problem of her being thrown off a cliff at 18 Mm -hmm. is never fixed for me. Yeah. Like there isn't enough penance here. And like I don't, I'm not even in in a space where There shouldn't even be penance. They should not be together. Right. He should not be at that school. He should not be allowed to enroll in the same classes as her. Every time they were like in the same space, I was like the brokenness of institutions that they can't protect us, even though that's like their key functionality. Totally. Or one of their key functionalities. Even her friend that she makes in school is like, she says it twice. She's like, you know, he's your attempted murderer. And then she's like, ha 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 to take the sting out of it. And I'm like, why are we taking the sting out of attempted murder? That's a serious fucking thing. Even before that, as horrible and heinous as that is we did not need the mob fixing the wrestling oh my God, matches for sure. plot take that line. out in fact we did not need the him hitting her with a truck and causing her to go through two years of physical therapy we also didn't need that here's a note where she is reflecting on her experience of being bullied so she's undressing in a swimming pool with him then she wrestled with the buttons to make it look like the truth so she's scared to undress in front of him because he's made fun of her for being overweight and she said she years. Yeah, she even got her arm out of one sleeve of her sweater to back it up, but could see it was having no real effect. He looked almost morose. He'd submerged every inch of his torso as though her eyes on him were just a little too much. Her eyes on him. Tate Sullivan, the guy who'd once made her attempt to cut off her love handles with a pair of scissors. That's a dark fucking thought to bring up in like, uh, they're about to make out in a pool. Make out in a pool situation. It was incredible Incredible, unbelievable, infuriating, yet the ache to tell him otherwise remained. And besides, your body doesn't burn out my eyes, Tate. I doubt it could ever do that to anyone. I will say this. This book gets bullying correct. And like the yeah. kinds of things that it makes you think oh, about Oh, that yourself, love handles thing? 
Yeah. Whoa. Yeah, like too real. And there's this other thing that Lydia says. I know because when I offered to help you move in, you looked at me like you were just waiting for the punchline to a joke I wasn't telling. And that's what bullies do to people. They don't just hurt you or make you feel bad for five minutes in high school. They create the backbone of every friendship you try to have from then on. They change your life forever. Yeah, that certainly can be true. And I think when I'm trying to think through it, because, okay, I am trying to think through it because I don't think I've read hotter sex scenes. No, I've read hotter sex scenes. The dirty talk in this book is exquisite. It is so good. The sex scenes are so good. They're so good. And I'm like, what is it about this? But there's something very Bukowski about the sex Mm. scenes even. Like whenever he's coming, she says that he's making a sound like a knife going through his throat or something crazy. Like that. In fact, the book is like just all sorts of like periphery shit that feels like especially dark, mm-hmm. but without being particularly fetishized. Mm-hmm. It's like scatological at times. Like they talk about pooping constantly. <laughs> they are in college. That wasn't my college experience. <laughs> like there's something very Bukowski where they talk about stabbing a lot. Like the visual of like stabbing and like wounding, physical wounding. And, and there's a lot of physical gashing. Wounding. And yeah, there's a thing where she says something to him and it leaves a bruise in his eyes. Yeah. And I was like, holy shit. I know exactly what that looks like. And that's the thing about it. Where like this book is so corporeal in its feelings. I mean, not to put too fine a point on it, but sometimes it's like a punch in the gut, this book. Yeah. Do you want to explain Bukowski for our listeners who might not know what that is? You should read Bukowski. What is Bukowski? He's a poet. There you go. Charles Bukowski. Here's the thing about Bukowski, though. Mm -hmm. I think he's become one of those, like, dog whistles, like Ayn Rand. Mm. Like, dudes are like, she's cool. She actually gets it if you like Bukowski. I feel that way about Chuck Palahniuk. Yeah, that's another one. That's another one. And it's like, "Mm, maybe I just understand it on a different level than you. You know, that's like... (laughs) Yeah, because I've been forced to live in the world differently than you. Yeah, yeah. And, like... Like, it's not like I'm like, yeah, dudes who are like, oh, that's hot. It's like, like, why do you hate women? I've heard that something. Yeah, I've heard that something that Elon Musk is like very into. I'm sure like Ayn Rand. I want to talk about something. There's this very like adult, dark. The sex scenes are very sexy. It's a lot of talking, a lot of communicating, Mm -hmm. very little vaginally penetrative sex. Mm -hmm. Mostly it's about all of the other amazing stuff you can do Mm -hmm. to come because his dick is too big. He's been told his penis is too large. But guess what? Letty's vagina is just right. It's a magic vagina. I know. That's the thing. It's a magic vagina because we're led to understand that he's very good. He's very good at foreplay. He doesn't feel any pressure to have this kind of penetrative sex. Like he doesn't prioritize it. Because the last time he tried it, the woman left because his penis split her like a too small dress. Yeah, he said that. Which is very Bukowski. And also fucked up because Letty has such a fucked up relationship with her own body image. Yeah, yeah. But like, sure enough, like... Magic vagina. Magic vagina. He's done everything right up to this point and yet it still wouldn't work for him and his penis and yet she will. But up to... Oh my God, there's so much good stuff in here. But so these sex scenes are like very good. A plus. But they were genuinely shocking because I think in general, the language in this book is very juvenile. Yes. I listened to NPR and they were interviewing this person who works in college admissions. And Amazing. he said one of the ways he can tell a parent has written an email and not the student is that the parent always uses the word awesome. What an interesting tell. Yeah. He's like, you can tell it's like how they think kids talk. This book uses awesome all the time. Let's see how many times this book uses the word awesome. There are a lot of oh my gods too. I'm like, you might as well 19 just... times. It's a lot. The book uses the word awesome 19 times. Let's see how many times the book uses the word murder. They're always joking about how they want to murder each other. Yeah. It, 31 times. And it's so funny because he attempted to murder her. Yeah. That's so fucked up. I can't get over this. Like, and like the scene of that initial trauma, which isn't even the initial trauma. Like the initial trauma is the years of torture in high school yeah. where he's like Once again, throwing her books on the floor and telling her that she's a nerd for like being smart and like making fun of the things and calling her thunder thighs. Yeah. And, like, criticizing what she eats when she eats it like she doesn't even want to eat in the cafeteria in college because she's afraid of being observed while eating by him specifically but also like like a huge issue becomes like everybody else too like she doesn't like to be seen eating yeah she likes to eat her grilled 
pita cheese sandwiches alone in her dorm room yeah but of course like one time she makes a comment on his body and he's like it was always afraid you saw me as a big galug and i'm like you are a big lug also not enough was said about his cauliflower ears if he's playing at any kind of level of wrestling his ears are fucked to hell yeah and doesn't she talk about how big they are yeah and i'm like so they're definitely just getting smushed to pieces yeah and then they get like a cauliflower ear Oh my God. Or like this. Let's see. The the bastard was tickling her and it was fucking awesome in italics. He had to be the best tickler the world had ever known. Mm. And I put a note on that and I said, excuse me? (laughs) Excuse me? Excuse me? He immediately starts calling her honey. Yep. No. Once they start talking. Don't do it. Which is very much a thing that occurs in like fan fiction where you can tell that the person is just trying to create an intimacy that isn't there isn't there yeah and it's something he immediately starts calling her honey which is also a very old i'm like if you are not an old southern person selling me something or offering me something don't call me honey yeah you haven't earned that also she answered yes because it was true she did in fact feel more comfortable about being close to him how could she not after spending an hour of sweet playing with him in the goofiest possible way she could imagine hitler would probably seem like a great guy to hang out with after that yeah i guess if hitler's your comparison but like also she's like i guess he's pretty cool if hitler would have only been a better tickler he was a vegetarian and he did love his dogs But like that is like the Uh, profound problem that I have with this book. Yeah. Where it's like, to be completely honest, I'm not sure that there's anything that Tate Sullivan could have done that would have been enough for me. No, they just should not be together. Right. And And so like the way that this book and like I felt so manipulated by the sex scenes because mm -hmm. they are such top notch sex scenes. Mm. And in that way, and like one of the things that I did want to talk about is like there are two sex scene acts before they actually came kiss and make out yeah yeah and I thought that was really smart oh so good but also really telling about one of the problems of this book where like this intimacy is a farce and like it's just being shoved down my throat and like the reason why she doesn't kiss him and the reason why he doesn't kiss her is because it is too intimate it's like it's crossing a barrier where like finger banging each other isn't or like mutually masturbating isn't yeah it's like something about that dissonance yeah is really important in the book and I think that's right like I think you know the way in which we physically and habit our bodies and Mm -hmm. like also our sexual relationships like there Mm -hmm. is an intimacy to kissing that there isn't maybe to other sex acts oh and there's so much like interesting stuff like feeling self-conscious about your body Mm. while getting off is something that I've never seen explored in a romance novel before or any novel well none come to mind yeah but it this is done really deftly where it doesn't make me less into it right and yet I'm still aware yeah and yet I'm still aware and there is something about this book even before like a lot of this honey talk started Mm. where I I have a note in my text that's like there is something about this book that makes me and there's something about certain romance novels where I feel like the author is over identifying with the heroine and like maybe perhaps I know this is a dirty word Mary Sue type situation and I was thinking like what is it about certain romance novels that make me think the author is writing herself into this book what makes other romance novels not feel that way like what is the hinge on which that turns for me I think that's such an interesting question because like this romance novel for me like I I understand exactly what you're saying Uh but for me it's like the author got me to over identify Uh where I was like I'm suddenly in my own bullying situation from high school and I'm suddenly in my own body Mm -hmm. as I'm trying to like recalibrate what it means to trust somebody who says like no you are beautiful after you've had you know the experience of lots of people telling you that you're not like and in that way I was like I don't feel like I'm reading about Letty like I feel like I'm reading about me or like hundreds of girls and like mm. and like that was so weird because it's so rare for me as a reader to like feel suddenly like my experience is being written word for word except not this would never happen I mean like the thing that Lydia says about like that's not just what bullies do to you in high school it's like the, the thing that you carry with you. She starts a profound sexual intimate relationship with her attempted murderer. Yeah, dude. So, I mean, I don't think you can say, you know, there were parts of it that I was like, oh, wow, that really rings true. But I think I was never, I am Letty and she is I because I can never 
imagine, you know, I was like, well, what would Tate have to look like or smell like or be like? Because I mean, Tate is very good. Like he's interrogative of his privilege and, and aware. And he, we briefly find out that he is from poverty, but he doesn't make a thing out of it. And, you know, he's just, he is profoundly good in every other way, except for his weird obsession with her, which is wildly inappropriate. Um, and also really the, fucking damaging. And stalkerish. And he really should be in therapy. People should have stopped him before he made this decision to transfer. Yeah. <laughs> Many people should have stopped him along the way to this. But also like, so this is what I've, I, I think while you were talking and I was listening and I was like, what is this? I was like, what is this hinge? Because I didn't feel that way. And yet I still felt, and I couldn't think of another romance novel where I did feel like I was over identifying with the heroine. I always feel like they're so far beyond anything I could be. And then I was like, we're making choices that are so far beyond anything I could ever understand. I think maybe that's it. The idea of a Mary Sue that's like, the characters go so far in the wrong direction that it almost gets away from the author. And yet they're constantly perfect. Like you get the sense of, because a romance novel has to end with a happily ever after, you get the sense that the character was never bad to the author. You know, it's like whenever you really like someone, you are constantly defending them, even in the most like cockamamie ways, you know, until you get down to the bare bones of like, well, you just don't understand him like I do, or you just don't Mm -hmm. get it like I do. And I think that's what some of these authors do. Mm -hmm. It's just everything gets away from them. And yet they're insisting on how good how great, how perfect, how worthy of love and satisfaction and and great sex these people are. I think insistence is 100% the right word. And like Tate is insistent on Letty, like being vulnerable with him and being his friend and insistent to the point that it is truly stalking. Yeah. That it is truly a kind of violence that he's doing to her in these manipulations. And this author is presenting it in a way that is supposed to be titillating and pleasurable. Yeah, yeah. I am profoundly unpleasured by this. And it intentionally mentions Edward Cullen as this like measure that was this yardstick of bad. And I'm like, that is a correct yardstick of bad. That's what he's doing. Yeah. He is doing that. Like a hundred percent. And like this weird deprecation where he has that really mean Gmail account. And like he's just dumb. So he doesn't know to back up his computer. So he's emailing himself all of these pictures and videos. I had no idea he was taking. And like. And there are two years of emails where he pours out his heart. Well, he starts off by saying he doesn't feel bad that she deserved what happens. And then slowly starts saying like, oh, my sweet love. And it's like, how, how is she your sweet love? You don't talk to her. You spoke to her once. She laughed at you. You've been relentlessly bullying her since then. When she gets to college, that's the first time you've actually talked to her. So like she's just a projector screen for you. That's all she could ever be. And yet the author is insistent that this is romantic. Even our like disinterested third party or whatever, Letty's roommate, her friend is like, remind me to tell you if this works out, it's really cute. Yeah. And I'm like, and it's like, mm-hmm. no, it's not. It's not cute at all. It's dangerous, it's, frankly. It's dangerous and unhealthy. And like, you know, I'm like, okay, it's a book about like a girl falling in love with her high school bully. I was like, I guess I could see how that works. Sure. But this book goes so deep. And so like the stakes are so big yeah. right off the bat. Right off the bat. Like it would have been bad enough if he threw her papers and books in the fountain and called her thunder thighs to have her really fall off the bluff by being pushed by a fucking truck is just like a bridge too far for me. And then like everything else that he does, the lying to the professor and to her about their project is super fucked up. And then like the way in which I forgot about this to just like point out how very, very dark and fucked up this is. Mm -hmm. After their first kiss, she reflects they were teenage sweethearts. They just hadn't known it at the time. Oh, fuck that. When he was when she was getting hit by a truck that he was in off a cliff off a cliff but he takes her to the hospital and he keeps her bloody sweater in the back of his closet and smells it he smells her head wound blood I also just like want to take her a minute old rotting head wound blood yeah it's a map to nowhere on that sweater is the line yeah that's something that like would appear in like Baudelaire <laughs> except it's very unself aware in this book 
It's like Baudelaire was never Baudelaire would be like, I sniff your rotting blood on that sweater you were wearing when I hit you with my truck. It was Jason's truck. And uh, yeah, that's what's going on. He's like, it's not cute, but I'm pretty messed up. This book is saying romance, right? Makes you do the wacky. Just like regular teenage sweetheart stuff in a way. Just a little bit different. Just a little God different. bless the broken road. Oh God, that led me straight to you. Here's the thing with that though. So like, I'm trying to envision this as like 18 year olds where it's like, I can imagine a bully bad enough to like hit somebody. Oh yeah. And like throw them off the bluff. And then like to be crazy and like be like, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit. What did we do? And yeah. like crawl down and get her and call 911 yeah. and do the whole bit. Yeah, that's all very believable. That's all very believable. There's no world in which I believe that the cops let those three fucks off with like, it was an accident. They were wrestling stars. Fine. Even then though, like the fact that her family didn't bring a civil suit to pay for her yeah, rehabilitation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm like, there's some court case shit that should go along with this. <laughs> let alone let one of them take her bloody sweater home with him. Yeah. And like the fact that Letty's parents were so absent from this text, I actually found pretty strange. Like if your daughter almost died. We know that her dad blocked his email address. But that's all we Gmail. get. Like they're not calling her. They're not like there's nothing in the text where like mom and dad are worried that their daughter who almost died in a terrible attempted murder. Like she doesn't tell them about Tate. Like there isn't a moment where she's like, hey, mom and dad, this weird thing's happening. My old bully showed up. How weird is that? Oh, I have to partner with him for the rest of the semester in a class. Upon reflection about their incident, Tate says profoundly, it wasn't just you that I fucked over. I fucked myself over. Oh my God. Really, man? Because you've been in college for two years on scholarship. You know what Letty's been doing? She's been learning to walk again. Yeah. Because her brain was hit. That's the other thing, too. Like, there's this scene in the library where she's like... He's a great tickler. He is a great tickler. And she's trying to explain this thing about her body image. And he's like, no, you're so hot. You're so small. I could carry you forever. And she's like, here's the thing. I hear you say that, but you don't see the thing that I'm seeing, which is my body. And then she puts his hand on the knot of a scar behind her ear. And then he just rubs her cheek with his thumb because he can cup her whole face. And I'm like, you are touching a thing thing that you put onto her body forever. And I'm supposed to read this because she it's cries. Not even, it's it's not cathartic. Even like a thing he put on her body. It's how he reshaped it's her form. Perfect. It's how he reshaped her form. And he touches it and it's supposed to be this moment of like reclamation and she cries before she can wipe the tear away. He wipes it from her with his thumb. Generally he licked it or something. No, it's just he pushes it away with it, his thumb. And like everybody knows Isabeau's a sucker for that kind of shit. But in that moment of I'm like, oh, you've taken a physical thing that I love to see men do. And I'm like, you've turned it dark. It's fucking dark. He marked her forever. Reformed is the exact way to put it. Like, she will never be the same, not only because of all the trauma from like the emotional shit from high school, but like fucking thrown off a cliff. It's not, yeah, it's not like just growing and changing. It's ruptured. Rupture. This is such a book about rupture and Mm -hmm. breach. And it's like, oh, we can bridge that gap. And I'm like, I don't want to bridge that gap. Yeah. That is it. is an unbridgeable breach. Oh, and like the idea that like he was always hiding how smart he was. Boo fucking who. Yeah, it's so dumb. Like the weird comparisons that it makes to like their high school experiences. It's like high school sucked for everybody. It definitely sucked worse for some people. Yeah, Letty. Yeah, for sure. The sex scenes. Oh my God, Morgan, the sex scenes. Just the sweatiest, mm, smelliest, nervous, shaking. Oh, yeah. He trembles. We get a dobbler tremble. Yeah. We get a dobbler tremble. It's my favorite. I also love that this book is not thinking of sex. I heard this really interesting thing. Queer women definitely have more orgasms than straight women. And I was watching a woman who was interviewed about, uh, you know, someone with a PhD in sexuality. She was like, I think perhaps the reason this exists, and this is just kind of speculating, is that that straight people have a specific narrative that we're constantly presented of this is how sex looks and this is when you think it's good and this is what an orgasm looks like and this is how you get it and you know exactly what it looks like. Man or woman on top and it's definitely penetrative and that's how you have an orgasm. Both of you together simultaneously. Simultaneously. Where 
Whereas like queer people don't have that same narrative reference point. Mm -hmm. And so they're forced to kind of make it up for themselves. And that allows them to think creatively and differently and really think about what they want and how to seek it out and how to make it happen and what feels good. And I think our hero is kind of going through the same thing because of his Pringle can. His Pringle can penis. And there's so much dialogue. That was the thing that I noted. Like this book has sex scenes that show don't tell. They're not like, and then it felt so amazing and it was explosive and fireworks and like. There are no Holocaust of emotions. There is no Holocaust of emotions, but it's mostly expressed through the characters talking to one another. And they're never directly saying stuff like, this feels amazing. It's just like, I want you to do this. And I think about you like this. And it feels good when you do that. And that kind of thing. That was very surprising. Do you think the surprise, the fact that all of other parts of this book were so difficult made the sex scenes you know sparkle all the more brightly I mean that's maybe part of it like I will give it to Charlotte Steen Stein these sex scenes are superb and not only for the way in which vocal and hearty consent is such an ever-present moment but also like everything that you're talking about where it's like I think of you this way and like I want you to touch me like this and like this feels good and if you don't do this thing to me I'll die or expire or explode or like in all a bad way and like all the ways in which he like talks about her clit and like it's just it's exquisite frankly the the way they talk to each other while they're having sex or the way he talks to her while they're having sex is so much better than like at one point she sees him in a stairwell and she wants to go around him Mm -hmm. and he's like you have plenty of room to go around me she's like I don't think I'll be able to squeeze by and he's like I bet you'll be able to slip on by and she's like is that a compliment and it was like that is the saddest compliment the idea of thinness as a compliment and yet when they're having sex or in a sexual situation and I love the first scene where it just kind of unfolds without you know any kind of realization that like this is gonna happen you know mm-hmm. it's not like and then they let the candles yeah it feels like incredibly organic all of their sex scenes feel incredibly organic like my sexiest part oh yeah let's get back to the structure of our actual show <laughs> my sexiest part is in the library and like <gasps> right because they're working on this project ostensibly <laughs> oh my god and they're playing footsie and the note passing yeah they're no <gasps> the passing no passing and I'm like uh uh-huh. and like and this is the moment where I'm like we are truly working with a a master of <laughs> writing but also like a master of like the human condition because the way that she talks about his crab-like handwriting yeah where it's a wound on the page and, and it's like a weird so, so hard and I knew exactly what she was yeah, talking about I could it envision so it perfectly visual and like thinking about it getting harder and oh as, as like his feeling is like being letched onto the page and so like then he does this really cute moment and like that's the thing about Tate Sullivan it's like I am forced to like him in ways I don't want to I don't like him but I am turned on I'm turned on but also like he has these moves where it's like he is charming and she's like well if we were gonna have sex in the library how would you start and he'd be like I don't know maybe I'd say something like give me your panties you know it's this way in which it's like I've couched it in a joke so you can say no and none of us lose face yeah and then she starts taking him off and he's like oh my god you're doing this you're doing this this is the hottest thing I've ever seen in my whole life and like he has this like tendency to have a running monologue that is at once adorable and twice related but also then gives Letty like unfettered access to how much he wants to be with her which I think is like part of the fantasy right like you suddenly have you know we talk about POV shift and how that's part of a structural fantasy but like we never get a POV shift in this book we don't need it because he'll have these like intense running monologues yeah and like the notes passing is always so god and then like he like fucking puts her down on the table and eats her out and I'm like oh that's exactly what library stacks are for. From behind. Oh, yeah, dude. That's how it starts. It goes yeah. lots of different ways. Yeah, it's it's an oral sex scene that has movements to it. Yes, it doesn't, <laughs> doesn't stay in one place. Like, he's just like, oh my God. And it's like not just oral sex, it's also like fingering and like the movement of like how he's positioning her and how she's mm. repositioning herself is like she's like moving through the stages of orgasm. Mm. Yes. Sometimes this book felt like really, really good sex ed. Like the sex ed that I wish I'd had. Yeah, if you could break out those scenes and be like, kids, kids do this. I know you're horny, but have you tried just masturbating next to each other? Right? <laughs> You'll probably have a lot more success. Yeah, in the blue TV screen light. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Everybody looks good in that light. No 
one looks good in that light. The blue TV screen light? Are you fucking kidding me? It's the like the second... TV screen light. It's the second sexiest kind of light there is. What are you talking about? No, it's not. <laughs> it's all uh, like moody and like... Oh my God. Um, Sexiest part mm. for me mm-hmm. was... So they have that pool scene mm, where they... So sexy. He's swimming for exercise because he's an athlete. And also his knee is bad. So it's like good exercise. She goes in to talk to him because they haven't talked to each other in three days and they have a fucking project. Yeah. So she goes to talk to him in the gym and she gets in the pool and she does eventually take off her clothes and she's swimming. She almost drowns. And then the lights go out in the pool and he's like, let's play Marco Polo. And she just kind of blindly at some point ends up feeling him up. And then he says something like, God damn it, Letty. And she's like, oh my God, he hates it, which is like the dumbest (laughs) shit I've ever heard and very weak. Not her best work mm. but anyways so he goes in the locker room to turn on the lights and he's like are you sure you don't want to take a shower because you're you know covered in chlorine or whatever and this is right before their first sex scene and she's really nervous to look at him naked and so he's taking a shower behind her and she's changing really quickly and then later on in the book we find out that he was masturbating during that time I don't know why that is the most punchy phrase in the whole book and I think he passes it to her in a note maybe maybe we're talking about the same scene yeah how does that come up because he definitely says that like i went to turn on the lights and i had to like jerk off for five minutes yeah he's jerking off his pringle can all the time man he's got to <laughs> I mean, when you've got an anaconda in your pants it's um yes wow but then i tried to revisit uh some of the sex scenes the other day it wasn't the same and i was like do i have to read these in the context of the whole book because i don't want to no <laughs> i mean there's lots of weird parts <sighs> so many I would like to express a weird part sure a part that I found really sexy and it's not the kind of thing that I normally find sexy it's a bit of an Isabeau sexy moment Mm. so they fool around Mm -hmm. Letty obviously feels weird about it they go to a party and he doesn't approach her he just gives her like a little shy wave and makes eye contact with her and And she realizes that he knows it's weird for her. And so he's trying to give her her space and allow her to make the first move. And I did find that to be very sexy. That is 100% an Isabel moment. And like, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's like at the bonfire and he's wearing the beanie. (laughs) And he's like so awkward and he's like waiting for her and like he's not going to like approach. And and the whole time in the book, you don't know what's going to happen. And he does something that's like truly decent. Yeah. I just love that he's in that beanie. And like, again, like this book, I like, I can picture all of it so clearly. Yes. Oh my God. When they dance to Only You by Yazoo. My dream is to dance to Only You. Impromptu slow dance to Only You by Yazoo. Yes. Not Yazoo. Yes. Yes. That scene is so fucking good she wears this blue dress she would always be too sad. I mean I think it's dumb that he's like the babe in the blue whenever he introduces her to a friend and also his gray v-neck tee is described as richly gray blue which is not a thing oh my god I know so much about this book yeah you can like quote it it's just like she's such a good writer she's just such thinks, a good writer and I just don't know why this was her project I don't know why this had to become because it is the book is a project yes like she's clearly trying to say something about Jack Reclamation. Reclamation and bullying and finding personal value and personal strength. But it's just like, I think maybe like, I don't think it's written by someone with enough perspective to actually write something this difficult. I think the wish fulfillment part of it like trips it up. so disturbing. Yeah. That that's your wish. That your bully would come out and be like, guess what? It wasn't because I was a bad person, although I was a little bit self-conscious. It wasn't because you were fat. It was because I was too horned up for you. Not only was it I was too horned up for you, it was like I was a toxic masculine person who fell into all of those traps. I've learned my lesson. Which is not evident because he many times compliments her on her thinness. And her demure stature in comparison to his six foot five wrestling bod. Yeah, it's just like a giant guy and a little gal. Yeah, like he's like, I can carry you forever. And I'm yeah. like, fuck he's you. He's like, I don't fully. even feel it. I want you to die. It's not a compliment. She very much takes it like a compliment. Because she wants to feel dainty. Yes. Because our culture is fucked. Because we all want to feel dainty. Yeah. I started telling myself I'm statuesque to try and like get over it. I'm like, it's, it's fine. It's like, I'm statuesque. 
Why does that have to be either or? It doesn't. Like, yeah, exactly. And I just hate the idea of thinness as a compliment in general. Yes. Like, I think it's, you know, if you're in the right circumstances, complimenting someone's body is fine. Sure. It's dicey territory. Maybe don't do it. But don't ever be like, oh my God, you are so 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 thin. thin. You could just slip on by me. It's like, thanks. The chemotherapy that I've been undergoing for the last six months has really taken my appetite. Exactly. It's a, yeah. Yeah. Don't compliment people on their thinness. It's fucked up. It also says really bad things about our culture in general. Yeah. And like, I get the thing about feeling dainty, like whatever, whatever. I just Yeah, everyone, everyone wants to feel beautiful and wanted by the most possible people. Yep. That's a way of having power and control. Yep. And I can't imagine how powerless and out of control it feels to be hit by a truck. And spend two years behind all of your peers. Yeah. In rehab, learning to walk again. Yeah. And then this man who was a part of your certainly reformation your reformation is allowed to then have like the same experiences as you with no consequences he's in the same film class as you he's working on the same project as you he's getting to go to school just like you except he's already got to your head start and like or that his affirmation is the affirmation you need to move yeah, on yeah 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 like he his voice is the voice that has the power to change your life yeah back I'm like, ew. Like the, the person who threw the plate on the ground is the only person who can glue it back together. I tell you what, as somebody who was bullied mercilessly in high school, certainly this fantasy appeals. But like, I certainly do not want to have sex with the fuckers who made my ninth hour history class a living hell. I had to transfer out of that class because like, you know what? My parents didn't want me coming home crying every day. I'm like, oh, it's at the end of the day too. Oh, and God, I just said, Standard. For the rest of my fucking afternoon, it was the worst. I was it was truly terrible for a full semester before I could transfer out of that class. And like you know, I would have to walk down this long hallway to get to that class, and I knew what was gonna be waiting for me when I got there. And like I had to run this gauntlet, and I had a really good group of friends who would walk me to that class. And like them leaving me at the door of that class was like, we know where you're about to face, and we're sorry, and we'll be here when you get out. But like you got to do this alone, and that's sucked and like I would love to hear one of my high school bullies be like oh my god we're so sorry we learned so much about our toxic masculinity and we figured it out but like I don't want to fuck them, them yeah them coming up to you and being like it's because your breasts were so big and because- so beautiful just feels like more of the same yeah or it's like your brain and your breast combination was the thing and I was too afraid to be smart I'm like cool I'm glad that you That's figured this still out still the problem like yeah it's not, like the fact that you were oh all I needed was the <laughs> Okay. But like, no. For another day. And all I ever knew. Only you. No. God, I hated that class so much. It was so bad. And like, that's where this book put me. And it's like, the question that this book then made me ask it's like, what would be justice and like I wasn't pushed off a cliff friends like I transferred out of that class like (laughs) Isabel was fine I had lots of friends like it was not a pleasant time but whatever but like what would justice look like if that had been worse what would justice look like is justice even possible like is that scale ever gonna especially what happens to you in adolescence like that feels like by the time you've hit adulthood it's just time to like fuck it you know right which is what's cool about growing up yeah that's one of the nice parts where you it's can like check out of those lives if you really want to for sure or it's like you know you can check back in and be like oh via Face- social media <laughs> yeah. yeah facebook says that you're a loser and that makes me feel good all right weirdest part my weirdest part is the barn with chad yeah. So we talked about the adorable scene at the bonfire where he's waving at her and like giving her her space. So he's also created what is essentially a 1998. A sex barn. A sex barn. It's- all barns are sex barns. That's what they're for. That's a really good point. All haylofts <laughs> are rolling in the haylofts. Humans have Pinterest weddings <laughs> in barns. And, and shovel shit in barns. <laughs> fucking burn anyway (laughs) in the hayloft of a weird that's where you've chosen to get married 
you had to buy your first pair of cowboy boots for this occasion. It hardly seems appropriate. Shout out to the Lauras who put blankets on the hay bales that I'm forced to sit on. Buffalo plaid all the way. Laura's not a monster. She fucking gets it. Some of the Lauras are monsters and they don't put blankets on the hay bales. Do you know why? Because they've never actually sat on a hay bale. That's true. That's super true. And then they're like, burlap on everything. And I'm like, burlap, burlap doesn't burlap feel good. scratchy. <laughs> exactly. Nobody fucking wants to put their legs on that <laughs> shit. This is a material that we have chosen is only appropriate to touch legumes. Why are you making me rest my arms on it? Oh my God. <laughs> and the thing is, it's like mason jars, which are supposed to be just like, Tell me more. Excessive use of mason jars at like a special occasion mm. is such poverty tourism. <laughs> God, it is. Oh. It's like everyone can take their gift. It's old soup in a former sour cream container. That delaying note. Anyway, he tricks out the Those murder. weddings are poverty tourism. I'm actually really worked up now because I think I've just touched on what makes me so mad about them. I think you have too. And I like, honestly, Morgan, I've never loved you more. You've just given voice and like perfect fucking clarity to a trend that I abhor and you've done it so well. Thank you. You put that one, you put it to bed. Anyways, they fuck in a barn. But the weirdest part for me is then like, she's like, this is what I always dreamed of. You put a blanket down. They got like a nice little speaker. Yeah, I don't think she was like, I've always dreamed of just having sex on a blanket. She was like, I dreamed of having sex in a barn. He put fairy lights, side. listening to sweet music. Like there's a whole thing. He sets he does the a scene. setup. The weirdest part for me though, is like when his fucking friend Chad shows up and yeah. takes that picture. Like what the fuck <laughs> is that? And then it never goes anywhere and like Tate beats the living shit out of Chad yeah. for trying to take a nudie picture but like why and is she's like she tells him I don't want you to get in fights in anymore. He's like you're right it's really unproductive. She's like no I'm worried about you hurting yourself. Your knuckles are all fucked up. Yeah they're and like a piece like, of meat. Uh no I think he was on the right path when he was like you should never counter with violence. Violence does not correct violence. Right. Also why Except the fuck when we burn down all of the wedding barns <laughs> just no more <laughs> just no more just hitting a reset button just like oh, I, we've gone too far on a bad move we've just pinterest made monsters sheddings weddings in big ass sheds have you heard about she sheds yeah oh my god why do we have to be out of doors <laughs> right <laughs> It's not properly <laughs> insulated. It's not properly insulated. It's the equivalent of like an outhouse situation. <laughs> we have to keep the shit box separate from the rest of the home. The she shed. The she shed. Uh. I hate no concept worse than a man cave. It's like, look all around you. We live in a man cave. Every corner of the world is a cave for men to be men. Yes. Why don't also need the basement? <laughs> or the lounge or the parlor. The den. They already belong to you. It all belongs to you. Every din, every basement, every garage with the space heater is already yours. You ass. We have nothing. If we're lucky, we have a shed. <laughs> and a kitchen, which is only just to feed you. And your progeny. And your progeny. <laughs> which, by the way, my personal taint was ripped open to bring into this world. You got to have an orgasm. The end. And you get a man cave? And you get a man cave? What more could you want? Can we try so much? Castrate them all and let God sort them out. Jesus, they're the worst. <sighs> that seems right. Your weirdest part. Another thing about the barn sex. 
is going to be my weirdest part that I can draw on immediately. Well, besides the weird relationship with the wrestling coach. Oh, God. And the mafia thing. The mafia thing. I just oh, like, yeah, just did yeah, the yeah. book didn't need it. He makes enough money throwing a Division Four wrestling match to not have to deal with his scholarship cool. so that he can focus entirely on their relationship while going to college. And their film studies. A weird part for me, I really did not like their syllabus. I did not like that they made fun of Ewan McGregor's penis. Yeah. And then never referenced Story of Adam or whatever, which yes. is, I presume, the movie they were talking about. Yeah, they make fun of Ewan McGregor's penis. They do. That's not cool. They also made Nine and a Half Weeks sound way sexier than it actually is. Everyone makes Nine and a Half Weeks sound way sexier than it actually is. That's a really, is. really good point. I was like, I went into that movie thinking it would be awesome. And I was like, oh. Do you know what's interesting about that movie? Is like, I think Kim Basinger is very sexy in that movie. I think Mickey Rourke is very sexy in that movie. I do not think they have good chemistry. They don't. And yet I'm like, wow, those are both two sexy people. I guess that's like the real mark of a sexy person. If you're able to be sexy by yourself. Mm, you're right. Mystery solved. What makes someone sexy? I don't know. Lots of things. The ability to just be sexy to a wall. If you've got that kind of charisma, you don't need anybody else. Womancer or no man. No, I want to get to the other weird part. Oh, okay. On the way, he's like, will you come to this barn with me? And she's like, are you just bringing me out here to murder, murder me? me? And they're both like, ah! Like, that's a thing that happens. Literally a thing that happened to you. Basically. <sighs> oh, you're out on a country road alone at night. Might as well push you off a cliff. Oh, you're <laughs> at a bonfire and let's go toward the darkened barn with no electricity. Yeah. With the person who previously hit you with a truck on the deserted road. Yeah, this seems safe. All right. It's a romance for me. Oh, my God. It's I feel too it's hot. Too trot. Too hot to handle. Hi, chai chai. I might revisit this and decide it's a no man's. I might revisit it tonight after I've used a Trader Joe's body scrub. There you go, man. That's all I'm saying. Had some Trader Joe's coffee mm. locked in the moisture of my skin. There you go. Just feeling it. Release some moisture, if you know what I mean, after Stroking locking it in. Your sensuous Think about body. those stuffed pretzel bites. And the mochi. And the mochi. She, you know, I've been thinking about this all the way to this recording. Like, this is a romance, but it's against my will. Like, I understand how tight this prose is, how great all of the things are, that it is still sexy. That I don't believe in this happily ever after. No. But there is definitely a part of me that wants it to be true. There, and that's fucked up, there, but also a testament to Charlotte Steen Stein's craft. I think there is a really good book in here. Mm-hmm that isn't a romance. Agreed. There's a book that gives voice to the more difficult probabilities of this kind of relationship and connection. And also like fucking talks about the stalking in a real way. In a real way. And the inappropriateness. And that book is actually a movie called The Night Porter. <laughs> Look it up. Tell us what you think. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> I am curious. I need to rewatch The Night Porter just to make sure I'm right. But I think that... <laughs> <laughs> That's what this is. And if you have it right on the tip of your tongue, let us know on Twitter or Instagram or shoot us an email at womancemail at gmail.com. We are at mance underscore woe on Twitter and we are at womance on the ground. No one guessed this book, by the way, because they didn't want to. They love it too much. They love it too much. They're too close. They're too close to it. Guys, take a step back from your faves because they might be problematic. And it's okay to have problematic faves as long as we can all look at the problems and be like warts and all. Loosen your stays, but never your principles. Oh, that feels weird on this episode. <laughs> Yeah, maybe we should think of another tag off. Loosen your stays, but never your murder weapons. Loosen your stays, but never your principles, unless it's a book that can't do real harm to you and it gets you damp, which I think this book proves is the truest function of the romance novel and not the happily ever after. Good night, everyone! Shots fired. <laughs> Mwah! Whoa, indeed. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Womance. All editing and music is done by Nick Gravelin. Our logo is by Mary Reichman. And our webmistress is Jane Bonzak. They're the best. 
Feeling woeful about having to wait a whole week for more romance? Well, cheer up, Buttercup. You can creep or connect with us on Instagram, Twitter, or our website. Our webpage is womancepod.com. If you prefer to be more verbose and or direct, why not send us an email? We're womancemail at gmail.com, and we can't wait to hear from you. In the meantime, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on your favorite podcast listening app. Until next week.